This week on the Dylan and Dylan Show, the Out of the Box Draft returned with a Super Bowl MVPs edition. The Q&A segment covers the standouts from the NCAA basketball season so far and how to fix tanking and pay-to-lose bonuses in the NFL. This week in sports covers a massive NBA trade deadline, the future of two sport athletes, and the Super Bowl picks rounding out the football season picks for the Dylan and Dylan crew. Presented by Tunnel Vision Sports. Excited to have you along with us for this Friday, February 11th edition of the podcast. Dylan Jesperson here. Dylan Holt along for the ride as always. Dylan, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. I, I don't think I could be doing better, honestly, coming into this episode. Uh, as we're recording, the NBA trade de- deadline uh, it passed like two hours ago now. So right fresh off all the big news in the NBA Uh, And just in this past week, my Murray State Racers, as I called it last week on this show, entered the AP Top 25 at number 23 on Monday at 11 uh, a.m. Central Time, noon Eastern Time. It's our first time in the polls since 2015. I said 2012 last week. I was off by a couple years. I forgot campaign, you know, NBA guard was in Murray at that time in 2015, tearing it up. We made the poll then. We're back now. Uh, it's it's really, really cool. The excitement around Murray State basketball is through the roof. Uh, we got a couple road games this week. And then next week, Joss coming back to the bank to see the Murray State squad play Austin P. Got another game that weekend against UT Martin. Lots of fun stuff happening with Murray. The Grizzlies are on fire. We've got the Dylan and Dylan special tonight. The Grizzlies and Pistons face off at Little Caesars Arena in Detroit. Lots of fun stuff happening. And that's not even mentioning the Super Bowl is this Sunday. Uh, how are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm super excited for a jam-packed show. A lot to talk about today. Um uh, just a ton to get into. And yeah, I'm super excited for that, that Pistons Grizzly matchup. I've had it circled on our calendar for a long time and uh, excited to see how you cover it tonight and excited to see uh, how the new look Pistons do. We'll get into that uh, with the NBA trade line deadline stuff uh, going down later, but first uh, we'll get into our out of the box draft first. Uh, reminder to follow tunnel vision sports and wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, that way you can always be in the loop whenever we uh, upload a new podcast, a new piece of content to that those platforms. This week, we're going back to the out-of-the-box draft after a couple-week break. Uh, we figured without the interviews this week, we can actually take our time and sit down and draft a team. And what better theme than Super Bowl MVPs with the big game coming up this weekend? So if you don't remember the rules or if this is your first time listening, Dylan and I will participate in the four-round snake draft, and you, the listeners, will decide who bra- drafted the better team by voting on the social media poll. The social media polls we post usually on Twitter, but might be on Instagram. You never know, so follow us on both uh, so you don't miss that poll. Uh, Dylan's got the coin, and he will decide the order. Uh, 
I'm calling tails. I got to go back to my roots. I'm calling Ooh, tails. I dropped it. Uh, that's George Washington. That's heads. I might, I could protest because you dropped it, but I'm not going. I to did drop it. It's, it, 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 it is what it is. I can, I've got another quarter right here. Do we reflip? No, it's all good. It's all good. Okay, I'm going two three. You're gonna go two three. Yeah. Okay, that makes it easy for me because with my first pick, uh, I, I mentioned it a little bit last week. I'm going with Tom Brady and specifically Super Bowl Fifty One Tom Brady, uh, the twenty eight three comeback against the Falcons. I, I list it as one of my favorite, if not my favorite, Tom Brady moments of all time, and it's obvious why. I think in my lifetime, one of the greatest games I've ever watched of any sport. I, I think for most people, uh, this was the moment where even if you weren't super into Tom Brady as a young kid, you had to start respecting him at this point because uh, I would say this is arguably the least talented Patriots team that won a Super Bowl, that Super Bowl 51 team. That defense was very, very good. Don't get me wrong, but Gronk was hurt. So really it was Tom Edelman and a bunch of, a bunch of nobodies. I mean, the Garrett Blunt, James White obviously had his role in New England for a very long time, but uh, that was not a very talented team. And for him to, bring that new england team out of that 28 to 3 hole uh something i'll never forget it's something i'll tell my grandkids about and it's something i'll annoy future generations of sports fans about like oh you you don't know a super bowl until you've seen super bowl 51 and what tom brady and the patriots did so uh, i had to get that on my list had to get tom on my list if i had the first pick and i think super bowl 51 is just the perfect one so i'll throw it to you for picks two and three yeah, uh, Tom was a five-time Super Bowl MVP. That's absurd. Like, by far the most out of anyone. That's just an absurd number. Um, my first pick, I'm going to go Steve Young from Super Bowl. Uh, it was in 94. I don't know the numbers. I look at online. It's like, it's Super Bowl XXVYTWS. And I'm like, I don't know Roman numerals. I don't know what to tell you. 1994. Yeah, just briefly, uh, part of my research for this was just once I figured out which game I was picking and which person I was picking, I had to look up the Roman numeral translation just so and I refused to all written down. I was like, I'm not doing this. We we talked before the show and Dylan was like, yeah, I've got the specific Super Bowls. I was like, I don't. I, I saw all the letters and I was like, I can't do this. Uh, but yeah, Steve Young. In 94, I was, I believe, it was a lot of Roman numerals. You know, the one Steve Young played in, his only Super Bowl, passed for six touchdowns, four and one half. Uh, Steve Young, you know, the guy from BYU, the guy that continued the 49ers dynasty, he also ran for 49 yards in the game. He's the only player ever in the history of the big game to lead his team in passing yards and rushing yards. That's silly. That is big-time silly goose energy from Steve Young. And uh, as he led the 49ers to another Super Bowl championship, uh, after the Montana years. Um, and then with my next pick, I'm going to go, this is definitely recency bias, but I don't care. Um, I want Nick Foles in what was Super Bowl 52, I get, I think 52. It was over the Patriots uh, a few years ago. Foles was 28 of 43 for 373 yards, three passing touchdowns and a receiving touchdown. Obviously Nick Foles was the backup quarterback. Carson Wentz was having an MVP season, went down during the regular season with an ACL injury, actually against the Rams in LA, uh, and Foles stepped in and was unstoppable, basically, in that Super Bowl. He did whatever he wanted, and no one saw that coming against the Patriots, of all people. Uh, so, yeah, Nick Foles, uh, Super Bowl 52, and then Steve Young from the Super Bowl in 1994, what, whatever Super Bowl that was. I'll throw it to you for your next two picks. 
Uh, I like those two picks. I didn't have either of them on my list, though, so I'm happy that I don't have to dip into my alternates, at least yet. Uh, I can get through my next two picks without dipping too deep into my list. Uh, With my second pick, I'm going Kurt Warner. I'm going Super Bowl 34. Uh, Everyone knows about Kurt Warner's story at this point, and if you don't, there's literally a movie about it now, so you can go watch it. I've heard it's wonderful. Uh, But anyways, now many know that he won a Super Bowl with the, the greatest show on turf with the Rams, obviously against your Titans, uh, but not many know his stats from that game. Warner completed 24 of 45 passes for 414 yards and two touchdowns in that game. Uh, those were records uh, until Brady did it a few times over, but it's still third all time behind two Brady performances. Uh, and I think like a theme of Kurt Warner's career, that performance gets overlooked like Kurt Warner was his entire career. Uh, and I think it's one of the best. And I think, you know, regardless, you know, we all think about how that game ended, but uh, we shouldn't forget about, you know, the performance that Kurt Warner put in and the dude that Kurt Warner was, because he is, you know, one of the best uh, guys you want to emulate as a, as a quarterback. You mentioned the uh, Kurt Warner movie that recently came out. Did you, when you know the story, it's like, we know the story of the greatest show on turf. Like when that movie came out, my mom was like, that movie looks incredible. We have to go see it in theaters. I'm like, I know the story. Like he was bagging groceries. Then he went to the arena football league. And then the Rams were like, Hey, this guy looks pretty good. And then Marshall Falk, Tori Holt, Isaac Bruce, the whole gang, they were awesome. And they won a Super Bowl. Like as a sports fan, you know, the story, does that make you want to go see it more or less? In my case, it was less probably because they beat the Titans. And I know that's how the movie ended, but I just, yeah. I think more with that, uh, real sports fans would probably more want to see like a documentary on something like that because you kind of want to see like the in-depth stuff, not like a dramatization of the stuff that you already know happened. Yeah, I want to hear Kurt Warner talk about it, not Zachary Levi play Kurt Warner and talk about it. Yeah, and you can find like Kurt Warner had a very interesting career outside of just the regular story. I didn't know this until I think I was on a TV sports radio show back when it was still Keenan and Steven. Uh, that Kurt Warner was on like the the Brett Favre led like on the Brett Favre Packers back in the day before he went to the arena football team. He was like a practice quarterback on one of those. And that's like it was one of the greatest quarterback rooms of all time. If you go back and look at it with Kurt Warner involved in it. So uh, he's got a, an awesome story. Obviously, if you don't know about Kurt Warner's story again, obviously go out and, and watch it. We'll wait for some sort of 30 for 30 that will that will pique our interest a little bit better uh with my third pick uh i got another 49er on my list i'm not going with steve young and i'm not going with the other quarterback i'm going with jerry rice uh from super bowl 23 uh the best ever and still holds the record for the most receiving yards in the super bowl with 215 yards against the bengals in super bowl 23 uh and a legend of all legends and for the longest time jerry rice was the owner of my favorite social media account uh, it's clear now that he has a social media team, but uh, and they're doing ad deals and they're doing a good job. But back in like 2017, Jerry Rice used to run his own social media accounts and he was like the the prototypical 50 year old dad on social media. It was hilarious. I wish they would give him the reins back because I would go to Jerry Rice's Twitter every day and it was so funny because he's did not know what he was doing, but it was great because it was like he was tweeting to millions of people at the same time. So uh Love Jerry Rice for a variety of reasons, but happy to have him on my list uh, and joining Kurt Warner and Tom Brady. I'll throw it to you for your next two picks. 
Um, I'm going to go with another 49ers, three 49ers already. I'm going with that other quarterback that you sort of alluded to. I'm going with Joe Montana, and uh, he's a three-time Super Bowl MVP. Uh, his best performance probably came in Super Bowl, I think, 25. I believe these are the Roman numerals for 25. No, it'd be 24. I don't, I'm really bad at Roman numerals. Uh, 24. The one I'm against the sure. Broncos? Yes, yeah. against the Broncos. Yes, 24. Uh, they beat the Broncos 55 to 10. I just a uh, slaughtering of the Denver Broncos. It seems like the Broncos be doing that in Super Bowls. They be, they show up and get blown out. That's tough. Um, but he passed for 297 yards on 22 completions on 29 attempts, uh, five touchdowns, and they just killed the Broncos. He earned his third and final Super Bowl MVP. And then for my last pick, I don't have the stats and I don't have a specific one because I, I have the two games in my head. He won two Super Bowl MVPs and I hold them in the same reign, both games. It's Eli Manning with both his Super Bowl MVPs with what he did to the Patriots. I think, I don't think there's like the stats doing any justice. It's just Eli uh, taking two rings away from Tom Brady and the Patriots dynasty. I, I think him being able to do that and like, for a lot of people, I'm not going to say a lot of people, some people know Eli is kind of like the the silly Manning where he makes the dumb faces and stuff. And like, he's standing on the sideline, not paying attention on the Manning cast. He's like making jokes with Peyton, but he's the guy that refi- like just stopped the Patriots from winning two more championships. He stopped the undefeated season. I guess if you have to go with one, it's the, the Super Bowl where the Patriots were 18 and 0 and Eli and David Tyree made that incredible catch, and they were able to beat the unbeatable Patriots with Randy Moss and all the gang. So, yeah, I had to go Eli, Joe Montana, uh, Steve Young, and then Nick Foles rounds out my team. So, yeah, uh, who do you have for your last pick? Uh, love that those picks. Obviously, I had Joe Montana on my alternates, but I am going to get all four of my guys, my first four guys, because I've got Aaron Rodgers from Super Bowl 45 as my fourth pick. Uh, and I've said multiple times, I think Aaron Rodgers is the most co- talented quarterback to ever play the game of football. Like his arm strength, his arm accuracy mixed with his athleticism would make him the perfect quarterback for basically any era. And like this era is the perfect for those three mixed in into one. Uh, and, and I think only Pat Mahomes has come close recently, but, uh, and his performance in Super Bowl 45 was sneaky good. He threw for 205 yards, three touchdowns, or I think 305 yards. I think I wrote that down wrong. 305 yards, three touchdowns, uh, in route to a 31 25 win over a very good Steelers team. I mean, the Steelers were still very good back then, a lot of experience. So for him to like dice them up and really just, uh, put his team on his back like that, uh, has to be respected. Uh, and I'm happy to have Aaron Rodgers join Jerry Rice. Tom Brady and Kurt Warner. Did you have any alternates that didn't make your list? Peyton Manning. That's the only one. I had Tom Brady too, but yeah, I, I wanted to get Peyton in there, but I had to go with Eli uh, just for the ramifications of the two he won were just so big. So yeah, uh, went with the younger Manning, the one with, well, the same amount of Super Bowls. I always forget Peyton caught up, but yeah, went with Eli over Peyton and I'm okay with that. Did you have any alternates? Yeah, I mean, Eli had more MVPs, but yeah, they did catch up in Super True, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I had Joe down uh, on my alternates. I had Santonio Holmes. I think he's one of my favorites. Like, personally, uh, the Super Bowl 43, nine catches, 131 yards, and then obviously the game winner against the Cardinals in that year. I will never forget that Super Bowl because West Kentucky got hit by an ice storm, and I had to go to my dad's house and watch it when he bought a generator. And it's like the world's like burning down around us. No one has power. And we're watching the Steelers win the Super Bowl. San Antonio Holmes making that incredible catch. That always sticks out to me. I like that one a lot. 
Yeah, I had Drew Brees down more for the story of winning the winning the championship after Hurricane Katrina. Uh, Von Miller, he won the, the MVP that year that Peyton won the Super Bowl, but uh, two and a half sacks, uh, two strip sacks. And then I had Desmond Howard written down as a far, far alternate. The only special teams player to ever win a, a Super Bowl MVP. 154 kickoff return yards, 90 punt return yards, uh, and the most total yards still to this date, 244 total yards. So a very solid game from a Michigan Heisman winner. So had to get him on the alternates. I knew I wasn't going to draft him, but had to get him on the alternates. Awesome stuff as always. We will get our social media posts out there so you can vote on who drafted the better lineup. On to the Q&A segment. Uh, I'll get right into it. Uh, I think every fan base, to an extent, can accept tanking, can accept when their franchise is in a bad spot and maybe isn't competitive yet. Uh, But I think with the Brian Flores lawsuit and the uh, claims of the bonuses to lose, I think we can see that these are going too far. Uh, So my question is how do we combat just tanking in general, but how do we combat these teams sabotaging them to themselves to the point where they're not even, they're not even trying to compete and they're actually paying their coaches to lose games. Like how do we combat tanking in that regard? Well, I think the NBA has the best idea with the lottery. I think there's lots of problems with the draft lottery, which have been exposed. People have said, well, it's rigged going all the way back to the first year where the Knicks won and got a superstar. I don't think the draft lottery is still rigged when you've got markets like Detroit, who's down bad right now, getting Cade Cunningham or Minnesota getting a guy like Anthony Edwards. I don't think you can say it's right. Or Zion ending up in New Orleans when New York was right there. I don't think you can say that the draft lottery is still rigged. Um, I think that would be, I don't know if it'd be a quick fix, but I think it would help a lot. Uh, I remember when the Dolphins tanking was happening and their whole thing was like tank for Tua. That's what we've got to do. We got to tank for Tua. And it's like, what are we doing here? Like the season hasn't started like that preseason they traded Laramie Tunzel. Like they just draft, they traded a franchise left tackle to make themselves worse, which was crazy. A few weeks into the season traded Minka Fitzpatrick, who was a franchise safety. Obviously we can see what he's doing in Pittsburgh. They, that front office did nothing but hurt Brian Flores and that team. And they went out there and regularly competed and won games. And they were like, hey, but if you lose, we'll give you some cheddar. That's just, I don't like that at all. And when I was writing my notes, I just put in all caps, gross. It just doesn't feel right. It takes the integrity out of the game. And I'm not somebody that's going to be like, rah, rah, like the integrity, like you got to play the game right. Like it's pro sports. Go out there and try to win. Like I get like, yeah, everyone wants to get Trevor Lawrence. If you're going to have a bad year, why not be the worst and get Trevor Lawrence or Joe Burrow or Tua with what we thought Tua was going to be. But like they ended up getting Tua anyways. They didn't have the first pick. It worked out and they were, I don't know. It's, it's very, very conflicting. And with all the stuff that's come out with what Brian Flores has said, it makes it shine an even worse light on that franchise. It makes, it makes the front offices in the NFL look even worse. And we know a lot of these front offices do things that hamper the players and the coaches and everything else. I don't know. It just, it, it leaves a bad taste in your mouth, especially the week before the Super Bowl that we're having this conversation just a few days before, like we should be celebrating, but this stuff comes out and it sucks. I don't know. I'm not a fan of it. Uh, what are your thoughts on how to stop it or just in general? Yeah. So it's a conflicting uh, topic, especially uh, 
I, I bring it up a lot, but as a Detroit fan, uh, we have seen like the difference between, you know, competing for playoff spots and, and not doing so. Uh, the Detroit Lions, for the longest time, were just content competing. And, and they did they did compete. They tried. They tried their best, but they weren't very good. Uh, and it was uh, years and years of bashing their heads into the wall until, uh, I would say, until this year where they really decided, hey, we've actually got to pull the plug. We've actually got to rebuild this, and we've actually got to start from the ground up. Uh, and sometimes that in itself can be looked at as tanking. I think we – more or less had to reshape our roster that left us with a lot of guys that really wouldn't be on starter starters on most teams. Uh, but really we just had to fill out our roster and that ended up giving us a, a less than competitive team this year. And that's why we were, you know, in the top two or three picks. And that's, that's the type of tanking that I'm fine with. You know, you have to, at some point, uh, especially if you're in a low market team like Detroit or, Milwaukee or, you know, there's a lot of places that fit that bill where it's like, you can't just keep spending money and trying to make it work. You've got to pull the plug at some point, rebuild from the ground up uh, and, and address some problems in the draft. Uh, I think where it goes too far is when you're literally telling your team, Hey, we have to lose these games. That's where it goes too far. I'm okay with, you know, structuring your roster to the point where it's not very competitive, but you still go out and try to win every game. And that, and even if that ends up sabotaging your plans at the end, You've got to go out because you cannot. I'm not one of those guys where it's like, oh, you've got to teach a winning culture in, in professional sports. These are professional athletes. They will be able to turn on that light switch when the, when that roster is there. But at the same time, there's a difference between teaching a guy to win and play in the NBA and teaching a guy to lose. Say or even in the NFL, saying, hey, we're going to go out and lose games right now because we're not good enough as we sit. And we've got to go get this guy who's going to be our savior. I don't think it works like that. And as a Lions fan, we saw it with Matthew Stafford. We went from an 0-16 team to a pretty competitive team, but not. it didn't take us to where we wanted it to be. So I think there's, you know, there's certain ways to do it, but, uh, you know, I, it's tough. I don't know how you – how you combat it to that point. But I think there's got to be strict punishments for when we find out that there's actually these processes in place to give bonus money to coaches when they lose. I mean, that's, that's on the owners. If we can't hold the owners accountable for literally going out and telling their team to lose, then I don't know what the NFL is doing out there. I don't know what they can really hold the owners accountable for. If they're literally going out and putting out a bad product on purpose, then we can't, uh, we can't really uh, have a commissioner role if it's really not doing much for us anyway. We'll have to figure out something else. This, this, is, a, this is a bigger problem than I think the NFL thinks it is, and, and they're going to have to solve it uh, in a pretty good way because I think a lot of eyes are on this situation. And like you said, they shouldn't be at this point. We have a, a very exciting Super Bowl that should be coming to, coming to play on Sunday, and we've got to focus on something like this. Uh, it does suck. You mentioned the Lions, obviously. You're a Lions fan. This year, they were not good. Like, anyone with two eyes could tell you that they were not good. But anyone with two eyes that watched them could also tell you they weren't going out there on Sundays like, oh, we're losing this game. I think Dan Campbell had them fired up to play football. And you look at that Minnesota game that they won at Ford Field, they were excited that they won. They weren't like, oh, darn, we're missing out on $100,000 that we would have got if we would have lost. They were fired up. They beat a division rival. That's how it should be. That team just wasn't good. That's okay. That's part of the sport. There's going to be teams that are better. And the Minnesota Vikings were better than the Lions, but any given Sunday, things happen. Um, I just – I don't want it to get in the NFL – 
uh, quite to the point of like the Sixers were uh, about a, uh, it's almost a decade ago. Wow. It's getting to that point. The trust the process Sixers. I, I don't want to get to that. That sucks. I like Isaiah Cannon, Murray State great Isaiah Cannon played point for the Sixers for a few years. And it sucked having to tune in to watch like a guy I watched at Murray State, which is now my alma mater, play for just a terrible team. It's a lot more fun when you have a guy like John Morant that goes to a franchise that's rebuilding and they competed every night from his rookie year on. That's how it should be. That's the kind of cultures you mentioned cultures. You don't have to have this winning culture, have a competitive culture and you'll be you'll be uh, kicking and screaming and you'll be on your ways. And we've seen that in Memphis where they are legit a really good team now it's it's kind of switching lanes to basketball but that's okay you see what memphis has done in just a short amount of time through the draft it's not like they made a lot of acquisitions through trades steven adams i mean that's like not anything crazy and if you wanted to take it back to football look at what cincinnati did they had one really bad year after consistently making the playoffs throughout the 2010s with andy dalton they got joe burrow who they think's their guy and now they're in the super bowl i mean that's that's how it should be you, you, if you're going to tank or be bad, you you understand you're going to have a bad year, still compete, and then you've got your guy, and you turn right around, and, hey, you're competing again. That's how it should be. But, yeah, uh, there needs to be something to do, and if they find out, they need to lay down the hammer, and hopefully they do. Yeah, and we're going to see now uh, there was an announcement today that the MLB is in, introducing a draft lottery and more punishments for teams kind of in the vein of non-competitive play. So we'll see if that type of stuff can help out, and we'll see if the MLB can turn stuff around. Uh, awesome to hear positive stuff on that front. I'll throw it to you for your question because I'm excited to get into it. Yeah, so we've been talking a lot of football, a lot of NBA lately, and that's fine. I love talking about those things. I'm having a big-time college basketball year. The Murray State Racers, as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, in the top 25 this week, a lot of fun st- stuff happening with the Racers. Just a lot of fun stuff happening in all corners of the college basketball world. We're about a month away from March Madness. Uh, starts about a month from now. The conference starts will be going on March Madness Selection Sunday. All that fun stuff's going to be happening about a month from now. Right now, as we're – a few months or just a month away from March Madness. Who has stood out in college basketball to you this year, this season? Yeah, so I've got a few teams written down, a few teams, a conference written down. Uh, Obviously, coming off a loss, I still think Auburn's the team to beat right now. I think they've jumped out to just this other-level type team right now, uh, which is really exciting to see. I've talked about SEC basketball, and I think they are far and away the leaders of that pack, even off that Arkansas upset uh, I think Auburn has been the the standout team this year. Uh, I talked about this team earlier in the the last time I think we talked about college basketball. Arizona is awesome. Uh, Arizona is a really scary good team. Uh, ben Math Ben Matherin is low key one of the best players in the nation, and that team is scary. I would not want to play them in the in the tournament. They only have two losses right now. I think they are quite possibly the best team out west. One uh, of them is to the Tennessee Volunteers. That is true. That is true. They gave Michigan a good whipping, which I was high on Michigan this year. They are not very good, but that brings me to my last point. I've been high on the SEC this year, but the Big Ten is super competitive, and it's going to be really fun to watch down the stretch because as these teams face off, you've got about five teams that have legit chances to win the the conference. You've got Purdue, Illinois, Michigan State, uh, Wisconsin is in there. It, it, It could really go any way at this point. 
which is awesome. I love Big Ten basketball for that reason. It always seems to be that way. And it always seems to be with like teams you didn't expect. Obviously, Purdue was up there to start the year, but no one expected Wisconsin to be as good as they are this year. Uh, I don't think anyone really expected uh, Michigan State to be as good as they were. I thought they were underrated coming in the year when they were unranked, but I thought I did not expect them to be competing for the Big Ten good. Uh, and then obviously, Illinois and Purdue are, are very, very good. So that's going to be really fun to watch. Uh, I think it's just perfect with football season winding down. We're starting to see those, those teams and those players stand out more and more in college basketball. We're getting those storylines as March approaches, and it's going to be a lot of fun as we get into it. What's stood out from you in the college basketball season so far? I'm glad you mentioned that Auburn Arkansas game. Arkansas's good. They only have like six losses or something. It's not many at all. And People don't go to Little Rock and win. They just don't do it. That is a hard place to play, and they win a lot of basketball games there. Eric Musselman said after the game that Auburn came out on the court and stood on their midcourt logo, and he said, we were not losing that game after that happened, and they didn't. Eric Musselman's a guy that I think anyone would want to run through a brick wall for. And watching that game, I really wish I would have covered it because I had a blast and a half watching it. Uh, Before overtime started, the – I think it's the Bud Walton arena. I might be wrong, but um, they played in the air tonight before overtime started. And I mean, that is just the perfect tone setter for an overtime uh, matchup on the road, the number one team in the country in a hostile SEC environment. And then Arkansas played incredible in overtime. Jabari Smith did all he could to keep Auburn in it. Couldn't happen. Uh, The storm courting or the storming of the court might've been the best storming of the court I've ever seen with the lights flashing, just them flooding it. Like it was like took two seconds. It was incredible. The videos on our Twitter. If you haven't seen it, you need to try to watch it. Cause it's one of the best innings to a game. Like ever. It was just an incredible visual that needs to be played until the end of time. But Auburn's really good. I like they're. I think they're the team to be, they've went on the road like three times in the last week and played tight games on the road in the sec in all of those games. And that's just, the SEC is a conference where if you're playing the number one team at home, you're going to have a hostile arena and they've had to deal with it over and over and over again. They were going to lose a game. It was going to happen. Arkansas is a good team. That's not, I don't think that's a bad loss at all for the number one team in the country. They're going to fall because the media is going to fall in love with Gonzaga again. It is what it is. Gonzaga is really good. They won't lose another game till the tournament, which is fine. Um, the other teams that have impressed me besides Auburn and Arkansas too. Arkansas is pretty impressive. Um, Purdue sticks out to me big time. I, every time Purdue watches, I have to turn them on because Jaden Ivey and um, big Zach Eady, he's like seven foot seven. He looks like two guys in a trench coat. They're awesome. I love watching them. They're so, so good. And I, ever since I went to the music city bowl, I've like fallen in love with that little chant Purdue fans do. It's like boiler up. Spoiler up. I think it's an awesome chant. I, I just like sit there. It's like the Jay-Z gif where I'm just like nodding my head. I'm like, yeah, boiler up, boiler up. I'm like, it's a pretty catchy chant. Uh, but yeah, Purdue, I think they're really good. They're legit national championship contenders right there with Auburn. Um, Kentucky, for being the blue blood that Kentucky is, I don't feel like they're getting enough coverage because that team's really good. And when they're hitting, there's not many teams that are going to beat them. Because Oscar Shibway is like Shaquille O'Neal. He gets every rebound possible. Kellen Grady is like a great value Stephen Curry. He makes every shot. I That seems really good. And when uh, Xavier Willier and uh, Ty Ty Washington are playing, that seems really hard to beat. And I, 
Auburn's going to have to play them again, not in the jungle in Auburn, Alabama. They're going to have one heck of an assignment that weekend or that day because that, that Kentucky team's really good. Um, and then some, some teams that are kind of under the radar from Auburn, Kentucky, and Purdue, uh, Wyoming. Wyoming's really good. The WAC as a whole is really good. You got Wyoming, Colorado State, uh, San Diego State, and a couple other teams, Boise State, all really good. Wyoming's led by Hunter Malinado. I got to watch Wyoming on Sunday night. They're really impressive. I, I think they're going to be, uh, be a team to watch for in the tournament. They, they've had a really solid start to the year. Obviously, the Murray State Racers, I've talked about them plenty. 22-2, and two, going for the 23rd win Thursday night uh, at Tennessee State in Nashville. It should be 23. If it's not, please clown on me because they should win that game. And then Illinois is a team that's really caught my eye. They just feel like a team – that is going to go out there every night, no matter who they're playing, no matter who might be out for them, they're going to win. And that's a, that's a definitely a culture thing that they have. Brad Underwood's done a great job there. Kofi Coburn is a freak. I talked about Oscar Sheboy is a freak. Kofi Coburn is also a freak. And they've just got guys that want to win. And that's been, it's been that way in Champaign for a couple of years now. And they, that's a team I would not want to see in March because they definitely remember what happened last year when they should have went a lot farther in the tournament than they did. So that's, that's definitely a team with revenge on their mind. And the Big Ten, man, like you said, that's a really good conference. I There's three conferences this year that are just loaded. It's the Big Ten, the SEC, and the Big 12. And we didn't even mention any Big 12 schools because they're literally just eating each other alive. Kansas killed Baylor and then lost to Texas. And it's like they're just eating each other because they're all good. I wouldn't want to play any of them, but – that's probably the big three. Well, Texas Tech, too, and they just lost. There's so many good teams. College basketball is heating up, and I cannot wait to talk about it more as we get down the stretch and closer to March. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome stuff, as always. Uh, we'll move on to this week in sports because we have a jam-packed lineup of stuff to talk about. First up, the NBA trade deadline is officially over, and there were a flurry of moves around the league. Uh, the obvious biggest one being Ben Simmons and James Harden being swapped after weeks of will-they-won't-they they from the Nets. Uh, my Pistons made a move acquiring Marvin Bagley III in a complex four-team deal, sending guys everywhere. Uh, and then maybe the biggest shocker, Kristaps Porzingis is involved in another trade deadline deal as the Mavs swap him and for Spencer Dinwiddie and Davis Bertans. There were a few other moves, but Dylan, you have the floor. What was your overall reaction to the trade deadline? Okay, so first, I'm going to go back a few days ago. When C.J. McCollum got moved from Portland to New Orleans, that shocked me. I was not ready for that. I I didn't expect New Orleans to be a buyer, but I didn't realize New Orleans got hot. They're in that play-in spot now. They're trying to make a move to make the playoffs, which credit to them. They're doing it without Zion. That's really impressive. And getting a guy like C.J. McCollum, that's going to help them. C.J. has experience in the playoffs. He's been to a Western Conference Finals. Uh, so I, that, I think that was a really, really good move for them. And I'm really excited because I have tickets to see the New Orleans Pelicans play the Memphis Grizzlies in a couple months right before the playoffs start. So hopefully Zion's back and I get to see a full Pelican squad fighting for the playoffs against the full Grizzlies squad that like has the one seed or something. I don't know. Um, the next trade that really stuck out to me was Joe Ingles got moved from Utah last night to Portland, actually uh, completely separate trade to the CJ trade, but uh, jumping Joe Ingles, jingling Joe, whatever you want to call him got moved. Uh, and his tweet saying goodbye to Utah, make a grown man cry. 
He was like, I have to take time to reflect over these past few years, all these things. He's like, I'm going to sit down and drink a beer with good friends and reflect. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm going to cry in the club. What's going on here? Like, Joe's making me emotional about a team I really don't like. I kind of despise the Jazz. And I'm like, I'm sad that Joe Ingles is leaving. Uh, but that's what's great about the NBA. And I was telling someone this earlier. I was like, the NBA has done such a good job of making you care about players that you shouldn't because you feel like you know them. Like, I shouldn't care about Joe Ingles being traded yeah. to Portland, but it's like, he like kind of tugged at Mars because he's always been a jazz. He's been the guy there, but it is what it is. Uh, we get past those two trades today. The Bagley trade, I text you as soon as it happened. And I was like, whoa, I like this because I've been high on Marvin Bagley since he came out of college at Duke. I was like, I think this guy's good. He went to Sacramento, which, whew, that's fun, fun stuff. Sacramento, that's kind of purgatory, which have fun, DeMontis Sabonis. That was Sabonis got sent to purgatory from another purgatory, Indiana. Um, but yeah, Bagley in a 14 deal got sent to Detroit. I text you when it happened. I was like, I think that's a good deal. I get him in a different system. Get him with Kate Cunningham. Who knows what can happen? Let those two go to work in the pick and roll. You never know. He might revitalize his career. I, I looked at his stats. It's been a couple nights ago because I was talking to my friends. And I was telling them, if the Grizzlies make a move, I want it to be Marvin Bagley. Try to package like Jarrett Culver in a couple seconds and get Marvin Bagley in there. Why not? And like in 21 minutes of action this year, he's averaging like nine points per game and seven rebounds. That's like really good. Like that's not bad production. So I, I'm curious to see what he can do in Detroit and maybe carve a path for him. Cause I, I don't think Marvin Bagley is this huge bust that other people say he is. It's Luca was drafted after him. Whoever was it before Luca was going to be seen just as bad. And that's what people think about Bagley. I don't think that's the case. Um, obviously, we have the huge blockbuster with James Harden going to Philadelphia, Ben Simmons, and a plethora of other assets going to Brooklyn. It's like Drummond, Curry, um, and two first-round picks. That seemed like a lot to give up for James Harden. And I, I was like, I don't hate it because I, I, the deal was expected. It just seems like Brooklyn got so much more in return than what Philadelphia did just getting James Harden. But I think both teams won that deal. I really do. I think Philadelphia becomes an instant, like, legit contender in the East, and Brooklyn remains. I mean, if Ben Simmons is playing like Ben Simmons, that team is going to be really hard to beat. And it's it's a three-team race, kind of like how, how it has been. I think it's going to be Philadelphia, Milwaukee, and Brooklyn. And then, uh, yeah, you mentioned Kristaps. I, that was, that one was really wild. I was just kind of sitting here playing Madden and it was like, Christoph Porzingis is headed to Washington. I was like, what, why? And then I, I was scrolling the old Twitter and I saw something interesting. It was like in games that um, it's just Luca out there for the Mavs, the Mavs have a 60% winning percentage. When it's Luca and Kristaps, they have like a 56% winning percentage. It's not a huge difference, but it's about the same amount of games. So I guess they saw that and were like, hey, we're about the same. We might as well move on. And they got Davis Bertans. So, I mean, and Spencer Dinwiddie for now. That That's something that NBA Twitter has said to look out for. Spencer Dinwiddie might not last in Dallas too long, but who knows? Uh, there's been a lot of talk about Spencer Dinwiddie lately. Uh, Washington's interesting. They've kind of blown it up. There's just so much stuff happening in the NBA. The NBA trade deadline is one of my favorite days of the year. And it's because of the stuff that happened today that we just didn't see coming. We saw the blockbuster happening, but so the other stuff, not at all. And it was a lot of fun to just kind of live through and be checking Twitter with Shams and Woj blowing up my phone every five minutes. Um, 
But what was your outlook on the trade deadline and all that happened today? Yeah, I'm and glad. Past few weeks. Yeah, I'm glad you reminded me of the CJ McCollum move because I almost forgot about it. Didn't bring it up, but that uh, kind of brings up my main first point, which is you know the the teams that didn't make the moves, which I thought you know after Portland moved on from CJ, I thought it might be time for Dame to move on, and they were going to try to to get the most out of him while they can. And I'm surprised that they didn't do that, and I'm surprised the Lakers didn't offer them something, and surprised the Lakers didn't do anything at this trade deadline. I think. Uh, a lot of rumors around Russell Westbrook and a lot of rumors just surrounding that team because they're just, they're under 500 at this point. They don't seem very competitive and obviously they've dealt with a lot of injuries, but they, they definitely seem like they need something more and LeBron James led teams have not been afraid to switch it up at the trade deadline if things aren't going right. So it's surprising to me that LA didn't make any moves at the, at the deadline. We'll have to see uh, if they're planning on signing someone or if they're just going to run with this roster and see if they can uh, make something different happen in the second half of the season. Um, for the stuff that happened today, uh, good for Brooklyn for getting a haul in exchange from a guy that seemingly wanted out. Uh, obviously, None of those players on their own are as good as Harden, but Simmons, as long as he plays, uh, Curry and Drummond make that team a lot deeper when, than they were, which is a problem that they have right now with KD and Kyrie on the part-time duty. So uh, I think it makes Brooklyn obviously a lot better. Those first-round picks, they're going to be late because, Philly, like you said, Philly's going to be good now for years to come probably if Harden sticks around. So I don't think those first-round picks are as big of a deal as a lot of people want to make it out to be. But uh, at the same time, I think – like you said, both teams won that trade because I think Philly instantly becomes a contender. You put James Harden and Joel Embiid next to each other and Harden picked up his uh, option for next year already. They're going to be good. They're going to be very hard to stop no matter who else is on that team because you've got basically the best scoring guard and the best scoring big man on the same team. So uh, we're going to see how that works. I think that's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, I did not expect the uh, Chris Stops move, uh, but I thought as the more I've thought about it, it does make more sense. Uh, I kind of hope they do keep Dinwiddie. I know that is the rumor that they probably won't keep him around for too long, but uh, that team needs more competent guards. It's really just Luca, uh, Jalen Brunson, and Trey Burke. Uh, and I think Luca works better in an off ball scenario. Like, I don't think they should be running their offense through Luca and making him be the, the, the main distributor on top of the main scorer. So Dinwiddie can be that guy in spurts. If you can get him to the level he was back when he was on Brooklyn, he hasn't been that way in a while, but if they keep him around, I think that can work. Uh, and then Washington, you know, if they can get Porzingis back to where he was, uh, I think that can work really well with Beal and Porzingis and maybe add a third guy in there, but uh, I think still shocking, but I think the more I thought about it, the more it worked. And then with my Pistons, uh, I wish they would have dealt Jeremy Grant today. I think that was the, the deal everyone was looking towards, but I'm happy we got Bagley, even though I don't know how that's going to really work with Isaiah Stewart. I, I just, when you texted me, that was the reason I looked at it so funny. It's like him and Isaiah Stewart kind of seem like the same player. They don't really shoot very well, but they are athletic big men who score around the rim and work well in the pick and roll. It's basically the same thing Isaiah Stewart does right now. Uh, and I think we've been building that Isaiah Stewart's probably going to be our big man for at least right now. Uh, and I don't think we're very competitive right now. So I didn't understand the move. I, it almost might be a move to make our roster more tankable, uh, which we just talked about the tanking stuff. But Mar like uh, 
like we said, Marvin Bagley has been hurt for most of the year. He's spent a lot of time injured. So I think this might almost be a move to get rid of Trey Lyles and Josh Jackson's contract, uh, get back a guy that has some talent, but probably isn't going to play much in the, in the long run. Uh, and then just make that roster a little bit easier to, to tank and get another top three pick uh, to, to match with Cade in the offseason. I think that might be the plan right now, just because I just don't see where Marvin Bagley fits in that offense right now. And he's a restricted free agent after the season. I don't know if we're going to want to pay for whatever he becomes. He might be a, a value at this point, especially with how he's played this year. But uh, I still don't know if we're going to be, be in a position that we want to pay that contract. So I don't know. We'll have to see. Obviously, this stuff is really exciting. It just makes your mind wander on that type of stuff. But uh, interesting to see how all of these trades work out in the long run. The only trade I did not mention, I mentioned it a little bit, was the Sabonis for Tyrese Halliburton. When that happened, I still have trouble processing it. Because Sacramento, I mean, I don't get it. I just do not get it. That's a franchise that they're acting like they want to win now by acquiring an all-star big man and they gave up a promising young guard in Tyrese Halliburton. Like just like the night before he got traded, he had 17 assists. And like a, a week before he was like, I'm here. I'm a Sacramento King. I want to change the culture to a winning culture. And they're like, no, thanks. We've got a culture and we're keeping it. Have fun in Indiana, Tyrese. And they just, like, shipped him out. Like, Tyrese Halliburton's a good player. And all year, it's been like, yeah, De'Aaron Fox is on the trade block. Like, you got to send us offers. Like, you can have De'Aaron Fox. We've got Halliburton. We've got Davion Mitchell. We don't – we got plenty of guards. And Indiana swooped in and were like, give us Tyrese Halliburton. And they're like, word, have Buddy Hill too. That just blows my mind. And seeing the way Sacramento fans reacted was hilarious because they're like, why are we putting up with this? This front office is like, they're just idiots. And I feel like this is becoming a theme of just bad franchises being held back by bad front offices. And it sucks because Sacramento deserves better. They, They started to build a really fun young core. And now it's just like, what are we doing? It's like, now it's like the Fox and Sabonis show, I guess. And I just, I don't see that being competitive in the Western conference with all the good teams and so many deep teams that just, that doesn't move the needle. And now the Pacers have Tyrese Halliburton with my, he gets to learn from Malcolm Brogdon, who's such a good player. And he's like already a veteran because he was like four years in college and then came in the NBA one rookie of the year. And like, he's like 27 now, I'm sure. And Brogdon gets some into him and they get to have a young star. It looks like this, this feels like it's going to be like a light version of the Paul George to LA deal where Oklahoma city got Shea and Indiana, the Shea in this would be Tyrese Halliburton. I just, I think they're going to regret this. I, I don't know. It just seems very odd. As soon as I saw it, I was like, wow, they messed up. But yeah, I wanted to add that in. Yeah, absolutely. It's funny that like, organizations like that where they make a move like the Tyrese Halliburton drafting of of him was like one of the best moves that organization has made in so long and then to just screw it up by sending him away for DeMontis Sabonis is just like so Sacramento Kings I just thought about this too maybe the way we combat the tanking problem is that like the the soccer way they do it in Europe where you get relegated if you're like the worst team and you just have to drop down to like a minor league system because I think like the Kings fit that scenario 
the Jacksonville Jaguars, like those organizations where they're just so putrid, they need like an option to be relegated to a different league because the, the it's terrible to like watch the Kings do that to themselves. So in this scenario, would it be like, oh, see you, Sacramento. You're in the G League. G League Ignite. Welcome to the NBA. And we've got a bunch of 18-year-olds on like NIL deals playing in the NBA. I'm for it. I think that would be cool. Yeah, like the Santa Cruz Warriors or something like that. Something stupid like that. The Memphis Hustle are now in the NBA. Memphis is home to two NBA teams. <laughs> the Grand Rapids Gold will now all of a sudden be making their appearance in the NBA. That would be amazing. Uh, all right, moving on to uh, our second This Week in Sports topic. A.J. Brown of your Tennessee Titans made some very interesting social media posts of him swinging a baseball bat and alluding to a possible possibly becoming a two-way player hinting at the Padres to possibly sign him. Now he was probably joking around, but it got Dylan and I thinking about what a two-way player would look like in the year of 2022. So that is the question I throw at Dylan along with your reaction to AJ Brown's post. Yeah. So I've always heard about this baseball stuff with AJ because he's always been interested in it. Turns out when he was a senior in high school in Starkville, Mississippi, he was drafted by the Padres in the 19th round. He was an Under Armour All-American, all the stuff like AJ's a freak athlete. I, anyone with two eyes can watch AJ Brown and like, yeah, this guy's a monster. Like he's awesome. And when you watch him swing the bats, like, Hey, he's kind of, he kind of got the swing. Like he, he knows what he's doing in there. Uh, and it definitely gets you excited. And I saw a quote from a Padre scout and they're like, he, he said, I was in Starkville, Mississippi, watching the senior center fielder. And it's like, he has it all. He's got the athleticism, the speed he can hit. He can feel like, Oh my goodness. He's, he's what a prospect. And they drafted him, and of course he went to Ole Miss and was a two-time All-SEC player, first or second-round pick by the Titans. And now, I mean, he's very much on the verge of being an All-Pro receiver. And uh, someone said that uh, Brown probably made the post because of all the scrutiny that Tannehill has been getting. And they're like, oh, he wants to take uh, attention away from Tannehill, take it, take it, uh, put it on his back, the attention. He's like, oh, I'm going to go play for the Padres. Just so Titans fans know that might not keep up with the MLB, there is not a spot in the Padres outfield for A.J. Brown. That outfield is stacked. Like, I, the Padres, I I love A.J. I think A.J. is one of the best athletes in the world. That's not happening right now. <laughs> uh, so I don't think Titan fans should freak out about that. But I think the mold for, like, a two-sport athlete in 2022, A.J. Brown is definitely one of those people that you see is just a freak and could do it. I, I really think A.J. could do it. And uh, we talked about it before we recorded Kyler Murray. He's definitely when, whenever someone has this conversation, Kyler Murray obviously emerges because of uh, all the stuff with the Oakland A's and him being drafted by them. And it's like, Willy won't he like what's going to happen. And I feel like guys like Kyler Murray, AJ Brown, these guys that are just freak athletes and can do it all. And it really seems like they stay on top of themselves. They're at a high level in the NFL. It feels like they could cross over. It, it really does. Um, I would just love to see it because we, we always hear about like the Bo Jacksons, the Deion Sanders that did it. And it's like, well, I, I'd like to have a guy in our generation that does that. Like, like an AJ Brown or like a like Kyler Murray, uh, Kyler Murray seems like a guy that could really fall in that mold where he's just, he's a superstar. That's what he is. He always has been since he was in high school. It was, it was Kyler Murray and everyone else on his high school team. And then in Oklahoma, and then now with the Arizona Cardinals, I mean, it's, it's the Kyler Murray show. So it makes sense that he's kind of that superstar that can cross over. 
into a sport like the MLB that needs more superstars. I mean, we've got two young ones in Tatis and Otani, but if they had a Kyler Murray, no offense to Otani or Tatis, Kyler Murray, I mean, becomes a huge fish in a small pond in that scenario, which would be cool. It'd be really good for the game. Uh, and one last thing I would add before I get your perspective, AJ Brown did say he would do the crossover a lot better than Michael Jordan, which is something that you can't say about many things when you're like, I'm going to be better than Michael Jordan baseball. Yeah, maybe he, he could maybe have a case there, but it would be interesting. Uh, I want to hear your perspective. Yeah. I mean, I, I am going to echo a lot of your thoughts because uh, I think my main point is just like, I'd like to see someone try to do it really the we. Our only experience with it is Tim Tebow. And that really doesn't count is Tim Tebow went from football to baseball and really wasn't great in either. Like he had his success in the NFL for that little bit of time. That was that Tebow mania time, uh, but never really got out of any type. I think double a was the highest he got to in the Mets organization. If he even got past single a, I'm not really positive on that but yeah we've never seen anyone even close to uh the level of you know these types of dudes uh when i saw AJ, the aj brown clip it, it reminded me of the kelvin johnson clip of him going out and taking bang practice at comerica park i sent it to dylan right away and i was like yeah this it reminded me so much of this and i've always thought about this uh you know i've oh and, and you know we we do forget that james winston was also that type of dude in college uh, he was, uh, you know, a Heisman winner and a, a and a baseball player. And Christian McCaffrey. Christian McCaffrey played baseball and football at Stanford. Uh, Christian McCaffrey's story was stupid because he graduated in three years from Stanford while playing football and baseball, which was just stupid. Um, am I getting that? Is it Christian McCaffrey or was it a different Stanford player? I have no idea. I believe it, though. That McCaffrey family is crazy. They, like, are all, all, like, incredible athletes and all, like, super smart. I, uh, I'm going to have to fact check this after I'm done, but I'm pretty sure that was the, the story on that. Uh, it was, it was a different, it was one of those Stanford athletes that were the Heisman winner that played football and baseball. But anyway, keep talking. I'll look it up. I believe, so I think it's going to take a special circumstance for one of these guys to do it. It's not going to be, you know, Kyler Murray just decides, Hey, uh, I'm going to go play baseball now. And, and the NFL team is just going to have to respect my decision or AJ Brown going, Hey, I'm, I'm in the NFL now. Padres, can you go look at me? It's going to take someone that has that reputation in both football and baseball or in basketball and baseball, whether, whatever it may be, uh, that is, you know, a two sport athlete goes into college, can do it or do it at a, at a high level, and then wants to be drafted at both levels and sees if they can do it because it's not going to it. I love AJ Brown. I love Calvin Johnson, but a lot of, a lot of these dudes are just such freak athletes that yeah, they can make anything look really easy. It wasn't Christian McCaffrey. I do not think Christian McCaffrey played baseball at Stanford. There's someone I, look, I will I looked, look I did the good old Google image search because I don't want to read an article. I looked up Christian McCaffrey, baseball, Stanford, and it's all football pictures. So I, I'd imagine there'd be a picture of Christian McCaffrey playing baseball. I'm trying to think of who it was. And I, I actually, like, as I was thinking about it, it wasn't Christian McCaffrey, but it was at one of those Stanford dudes. It obviously wasn't Andrew Luck because we would know that. Was um, it Toby Gearhart? It was Toby Gearhart. Yes, it was. It was Toby Gearhart. That's what I meant. Yeah. Different white running back from Stanford. Uh, obviously, obviously, but yes, Toby Gerhardt did play baseball. I remember that. And he graduated in three years. 
Toby Gerhardt looks like Mike Trout in a baseball uniform. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Holy cow. Yeah. And he was, yeah, he was good. He was like an all American at, at Stanford. So yeah. I yeah. Yeah. He was very, very good. And I, I think he could have pulled it off too. One of those like tough dudes. And yeah, it's, even he would have been stretching it. It's got to be someone where like you are so good at both that we literally can't keep you off the field. We have to get you into this, into these two organizations like Dion or like Bo. I don't know if there's going to be a guy like that again, but uh, man, we can hope like, because it's going to be really cool when they do. Uh, I think, you know, our version of it right now is just Shohei Otani. Uh, The fact that he can pitch and, and hit, He's obviously he's basically a two way player in the in the sense that he's playing two different positions and and is very very good at it. Toby Gerhart, I'm sorry, I have to read this. In his final eleven games in the 2008 season, batted 356, four home runs and 12 RBIs. Oh my God, that came after a football season where he ran for 1,136 yards. Holy cow! College baseball needs to like become a bigger deal and like be on TV more because I want to see these things like happening in real time. Right. Yeah. I I remember hearing that and it was at the Heisman Trophy presentation where he got uh, nominated and I and they were like, yeah, he's done all this at Stanford and he plays baseball and is an All American and he's graduated in three years from like one of the hardest universities in America. So yeah, Toby Gerhardt was a freak human being. I think that's something that we like see at like the high school level, and then it's so much lower like a percentage of seeing it at the college level. And then obviously we're talking about at the pro level where we just don't see it. So like you can tell by our reactions or my reaction to reading that about Toby Gerhardt, just how amazing it is that a guy can be so dominant in football. Because Toby Gerhardt was a stud. I mean, was incredible at Stanford, and then what he did in baseball, which I had no idea about. That's awesome. That he could have been the guy and he just time passed him by Toby gear. He's only like 34 now. So Toby, if you want to have a crack at it, go try out for baseball. And then maybe some NFL team will sign you as a publicity stuff. Maybe those dolphins. I always thought Toby Gerhardt, like once he was done being a running back, he would just immediately transition to being a fullback. And that would just extend his career for like 20 more years. I don't know where he's at now, but yeah, I, some team could sign him as a fullback and then, yeah. I'd believe it if if some if the Titans were like we're signing Toby Gearhart as a fullback. I was like, fair enough. That yeah. that sounds like a good move. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'd love to see it. I don't know what it's going to be. I'm gonna I'm gonna keep my eyes out. I remember Michigan State had a, a football slash basketball recruit that they almost played two ways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He played this year. Um, I don't know his name. He scored a point uh in a Big Twelve game or a Big Ten game uh last week, and he scored a touchdown in a Big Ten game this year. He's like the first player to do that in like 20 years or something. Yeah, he's very good, but still like it's like not – it's still not even – because I don't think he's going to get drafted in either one. He might be a good enough football player at at the end of his career, but right now he's not really making much strides in basketball. But like maybe. We'll see. Drake London from USC. He's going to be a first-round pick in this year's NFL draft. He signed to USC because they gave him both a football and basketball scholarship. Obviously, he ended up getting hurt and focusing on football. But – um. That's a guy like things like that should happen more where they're like, Hey, if you come here, you can play both sports. We got you like come do both. That needs, we need to see more of that, especially with these elite athletes. Like Drake London's one of them. Drake London is a freak and he's going to be awesome in the NFL, but he could have been an NBA player probably with the athleticism. He has, he has a big build. He's a wide receiver. Need to see more than more of that. Uh, 
yeah, two sport athletes, bring them back. Yeah, and I, I'll, last thing I'll say about that, you see more in high school, obviously, for, for different reasons than that, but uh, you see it more and more, I'd say, in high school now, because I think there was like an era, especially when me and you were going through high school, where everyone was like specializing on one sport, where it was like, okay, you find your one sport, you quit everything else, and you play that, and once you get into high school, that's what you do, and I think now, like, the newer generations are, are actually taking the opposite approach. They're like, let's play as many sports as possible, and that only keeps us active more it gets us athletic it works different muscle groups and it gets you into a different spot and i think it's that's the best way to go uh and i, I like that philosophy uh and i hope that it breeds more multi-sport athletes down the road uh all right finally the super bowl is up the big game's coming up sunday we've got to get our picks in our final picks for football until next year uh it's a sad day but uh we're picking between matthew stafford and the home team the la rams and Taking on Joe Burr, Joe Burrow, and the Cincinnati Bengals. Dylan, final football game of the year. Who you got in the Super Bowl? So my least favorite thing about writing about sports and talking every week on the Dylan and Dylan show about sports is I get these texts from people that maybe I haven't talked to in a while, and they want to place bets on games. And they're like, who do you think's going to win? I, I want to explain to them. I want to be like, go to the Dylan and Dylan Twitter and see how bad I am at picking games. Like, I don't know. Like, it's the Super Bowl. Literally, either team could win. It's 50-50. I have no idea. Like, I like, going into Sunday, I literally just want to see a good game. There's so many good storylines. Like, Joe Burrow has been in the NFL for two years. He's in the Super Bowl. The last time Joe Burrow was in a championship was the national championship. There wasn't a pandemic. Now maybe he can, like, take us out of it. One Burrow championship took us in, book in the start of it. Let this championship end it. I don't know. Uh, then he got Stafford. Took 12 years for him to get here. His first year outside of Detroit, goes to L.A., teams up with McVay and all the boys in L.A., and he's in the Super Bowl. That's really, really cool. As Stafford's a guy that if you're an NFL fan for, like, even, like, two years, you have to have so much respect for Matt Stafford for what he's done in his career. And it's really, really cool to see him get to have this big stage. Um, I, I saw something really interesting. Joe Burrow – it, it's the, it took the shortest amount of time from any number one draft pick as a quarterback to get to the Super Bowl, two years. Stafford, it took 12 years, which is the longest amount. So we've got the bookends of the records of longest and shortest amount of times the number one overall quarterback selected, which I thought was neat. Uh, then you've got the story of McVay, head coach for L.A., his second Super Bowl with the Rams. Uh, Zach Taylor was the QB coach in L.A. the last time they were here. Uh, and when after they lost the game to the Patriots 13-3, he flew to Cincinnati right after to become the head coach of the Bengals. And then fast forward, here we are again, those two facing off the, obviously all the connections there. Um, I think it really comes down to there's so many stars in LA, which just fits the mold. It's like LA, the city of stars, Hollywood, all that. And they're just littered with stars, Stafford, Cooper cup. You've got Andrew Whitworth's a guy that people don't talk about. That's a, that guy's been a stud left tackle in the NFL since I've been like before I was born. Andrew Whitworth is like really old at this point. He's a former Bengal. Like there's that's really cool and he's really good. Uh, and then on the defensive side, Aaron Donald, Vaughn Miller, Jalen Ramsey, Eric Weddle is a guy that came out of retirement, was an All Pro player for so long, and now he's playing for his hometown Southern California LA Rams. Um, lot, just so many stars. And you've got the underdog. You've got the team with so much fight in them, the Cincinnati Bengals, led by Joe Burrow, who's just 
I don't. I think Joe Burrow is going to get in that realm like Tom Brady. That's like you can't bet against them. How how can you pick against Joe Burrow? I feel like that's what we're going to start saying. Which it would have been so cool if this was Brady versus Burrow, and that that ended Brady's uh, legacy. But hey, Stafford Stafford played spoiler, and that's okay. Um, I think if if Cincinnati was wearing the all white Bengal jerseys, this would be so easy. I'd be like they're winning, but. Um, I'm going to go with the Rams. I'm going to go with the Rams. I think that pass rush is just too good. I think they're going to look at what the Titans did to them where they, where they got nine sacks. Titans pass rush was good. The Rams is better. And I, they can take film from that. The Burrow's going to have, I think Burrow's going to play awesome. He's a big time player and big time players make big time plays in big time games. Uh, But just that defense is just too much. I think with the stuff the Rams offense can do with Matt Stafford, um, and Cooper Cup and just all those guys in that offense. I think they're just going to overwhelm the Bengals. I don't. I, I said this when we did our roundtable. I didn't think the Bengals were ready for this moment, and they obviously proved me wrong. They're in the Super Bowl. I would not be surprised at all if the Bengals win. I just think this is the year of the Rams. I think it's been the year of the Rams since they acquired Matt Stafford. Uh, I think Matt Stafford's going to get his ring. I think Sean McVay is going to get a ring. Aaron Donald, Von Miller's getting a second one. Jalen Ramsey's getting a ring. Odell. I forgot to mention Odell Beckham Jr. That's insane. Yeah. I'm going with the Rams, but like I said, the Bengals are really good. No disrespect to them. I cannot wait to watch an awesome Super Bowl. Who do you have in this one? So my pick works two ways. So first off, I like to follow my brain, and my brain tells me that the Rams are the more complete team from top to bottom. Uh, And specifically, that Rams D-line should shred the Bengals O-line. I mean, it should just be a clown show of what they can do. But number two, I've been rooting for the Bengals the entire way, and I've decided to pick against them every way. Uh, and, uh, as a lions fan, uh, I know a lot of my lions fans are rooting for Matthew Stafford in this game. I'm rooting for the Bengals because the Bengals are us. The Bengals were us for the longest amount of time. I mean, there's so many parallels between the Bengals organization and the lions organization. Their last playoff win before this year was 1990. Our last playoff win is 1991. I mean, their team was in the dirt for so long and were laughed at for so long. They were the lions of the AFC basically. Uh, And then they got Joe Burrow, they got Jamar chase and now they're in the super bowl. And all of a sudden they, if they win, I look at it as they've given the Lions a blueprint of how to do what we need to do is go out and get someone like Joe Burrow. Obviously they don't grow on trees, but they, but we can go find someone like that and then go find his partner in crime and Jamar chase. If he has one and then then put him on the field and then we'll go to a super bowl. I mean, that's, that's what I expected from Matthew Stafford and Kelvin Johnson about 12 years ago. So uh, I'm hoping Joe Burrow can prove me right after all this time. But that being said, I'm very superstitious. And I've picked against Cincinnati this entire way. So I'm picking the Rams and hoping Cincinnati can pull it off. I, I do think like if I, if, if I was a betting man, if you were going with just my pick, uh, I think the Rams are the better team. I think they should win this game, but the Bengals have been the worst team, basically every playoff game they've played and they've won every game. So uh, it's hard to pick against them. I will pick against them just because I hope they win. Um, but I, that's just how I am. It would also be like the most Detroit thing ever for Matt Stafford to get to the Super Bowl and lose. That that would just be awful. He like gets that Detroit stank off of him, gets to the Super Bowl and loses to Joe Burrow and that Bengals. That would that would suck. I I don't think Stafford would live that one down, uh, and I don't think. Uh, but but I also think that they have the best chance to do it this time. If they if the U was ever going to do it, it has to be right now. Could you imagine if Joe Burrow's did grow on trees? That would be really cool. 
<laughs> I'd be a fan of it. The Titans, I'd, I'd take a Joe Burrow. With what Ryan Tannehill did, I'm still a little bitter. It's been like a month now. I'm still, I, still a little mad. If Joe Burrows grew in trees, I think we would have like, honestly, 28 Joe Burrows and then like two other guys. Like <laughs> we'd, have, we'd have 28 Joe Burrows, Russell Wilson, Aaron Rodgers, and Pat Mahomes. Um, yeah, and then another guy pending an investigation. <laughs> Josh Allen, maybe. Uh, any final- yeah, Josh Allen. Josh Allen's in there. Yeah. Dylan, that's going to do it from the Dylan and Dylan show. Dylan, do you have any final thoughts before we go? Um, yeah, I'm excited for the Super Bowl. I, I think it's going to be awesome, like we just said. I think it's going to be a really, really good game. Lots of good basketball this weekend. Uh, the Grizzlies and Pistons play tonight. Murray State's got two games. Lots of fun stuff leading up to a big Super Bowl. Uh, the the All the culmination of football from all the way back in August. Uh, going to be bittersweet as we don't get football back for a long time. But, hey, that's okay. It's been fun seasons in both college and pro. And I'm really looking forward to the big game. Uh, do you have any final thoughts? No, just uh, everyone be safe, have fun, enjoy the Super Bowl. Uh, that's going to do it from us at the Dylan and Dylan Show. You can find the show on Twitter and Instagram at Dylan Dylan Show. You can find Tunnel Vision Sports on Instagram at Tunnel Vision Sports underscore TikTok and Twitter at underscore TV Sports. Facebook and LinkedIn at Tunnel Vision Sports and on the web at tvsportsmag.com. This has been the Dylan Dylan Show. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great weekend, and we will see you guys next week.